podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. We all take on different roles every day. One minute you're a parent, the next a chef, or a driver. That's why the Volvo XC40 Recharge is designed to be as versatile as you are. It's fully electric and includes a 360-degree camera, Google built-in, and more. Contact your local retailer to learn more or visit volvocars.com US. The Volvo XC40 Recharge. For every you. Some equipment optional. Google is a trademark of Google LLC. Welcome to the Five Year Plan Podcast. Hey! It's pod 402, and uh, this week we'll be reviewing Palace's 2-0 win over Wolves. Uh, I'm Jim Daly. To review that game, I have got Jack Pearce. Hello to you. JD, hello. Yep, I am very excited to talk about what was a very, very enjoyable Saturday. Ah, look at that. Straight in. Can't wait. Um, Also joining us, Dom Fifield. How are you? I'm very well, thanks, Jim. You? Yeah, not too bad. Second week in a row, I think, for you. I know. It's becoming a habit, isn't it? It's worrying. <laughs> it is lovely to have you on. It is absolutely lovely. And someone else that's been on a bit more regularly recently, which is fantastic, John Curran is back. Hello, JC. Hi there, JD. Yeah, the Martin Kelly of the podcast. <laughs> I think you're probably upgraded now. To the, I am, uh, yeah. It'd be maybe, to... maybe the Czech Yarte of the podcast. Yeah, there you go. I like that. Yeah, we'll take that. Someone who played very well this weekend. And we were talking about that game uh, very soon. Before we do that, can I get a drum roll, please, for a random FYP patron? It's Laura Harrison. Hey, Laura. Hi, Laura. Hi, Laura. Welcome to the patron. Joined recently. And you can get all the rewards like Laura does on our patron that involves uh, post-match podcasts, patron-only merchandise, and access to the patron-only Discord club at patreon.com forward slash FYP podcast. Uh, new patrons, or well, all patrons, get 20% off our line of merchandise immediately, uh, which is available at podcastmerch.co.uk forward slash FYP hyphen podcast. But anyone can buy it at full price. And we have uh, a new line dropped recently, Hillsborough Heroes themed one. And we have a new one that I'm revealing this week at the live podcast. Uh, so if you are coming to that on Thursday night, you'll get to see that, uh, well, live, I guess. Um, and... Uh, that's, oh, and the live pod sold out as well, so you can't buy a ticket. I've had to get that off my notes because it's sold out. So if you bought a ticket, it's about fifteen tickets for about three months, wasn't it, Jim? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was just I held those back, you know, just in case mm. anyone important wanted to come. But uh, turns out no. Um, but we have sold out now. So thank you to everyone that's bought a ticket. Can't wait to see you. It's two days away, Thursday night in the Streatham. These three boys here are coming as well, so it's going to be a great night, and uh, we'll see you all there. Speaking of another great night. Jack, well, afternoon. Uh, Palace's 2-0 win over Wolves. Uh, I, I, again, this season, I would say, uh, barring the first game of the season, maybe the first half against Wolves, I have been incredibly calm watching Palace at the moment. And this Saturday was another calm, enjoyable experience for me because it was a fairly well-rounded, professional, getting, it's a shilling weird to say this every week, performance from Palace. It really was. Yeah, it was it was it was great. I think it's probably fair to say the first half was a, a stalemate. I thought, you know, Wolves didn't really impress that much, but they weren't dreadful. Um, but what really impressed me with the second half was how 
we we kept with the approach that obviously been agreed all week and and and, and was the tactic for the whole game and and it, and it worked for us the patience worked um you know we didn't make many many chances but we had two clear cut chances i felt and and, and we scored from both of them and um, i think edward worked the keeper well with with another one but in terms of clear cut chances it, we we created two and we scored both of them um through uh Wilf, who is becoming a real a real talisman this season, and, and whether he's coming off the left or playing centrally, he you know he, he's really um, having a bit of a renaissance, if, if if that's the right word to use. And then Conor Gallagher, who I just thought was superb um, from from minute one, his energy levels are uh, ridiculous, and his um, his output with the ball um, throughout the whole game was really impressive. And when it fell to him. Um, after a bit of dodgy defending by Wolves, you just knew that he was going to hit the target and it, it just had that moment where it was almost inevitable that it was going to go in, albeit by a deflection. But um, yeah, really quite a comfortable win in the end. Um, and and as good and as, as nice a surprise as the, the City win was the weekend before, this win felt almost as important in that we, we won the game where we all hoped that we would do and the surprise wasn't necessarily as big as the week before. Yeah, and actually, all the more impressive against a team who I think were top of the form table were certainly high up there going into it. I think they'd won four or five on the bounce. So, again, very impressive. Um, JC, we are, again, it's following the mould of a tight first half, maybe, and then Palace flourishing in the second half. I've got a question about that from one of our regulars, Toby Kinder. Hello, Toby. Hello, Toby. He says, how significant is it that we're scoring so many of our goals later on in games, having tired out the opposition with our snappy and decisive possession play? And I'll add on to that something that I thought of the weekend, which which was when we did score that first goal through Wilf, it followed a sustained period of pressure from Palace. And it's the first time in a while that I can remember Palace teams taking advantage of having spells of pressure. Sometimes in the past, you'd think we've got to score now, got to score now, and then it would slowly fade away. But at the moment, Palace are actually making that pressure count. I think that's, that's it's a very good question and spot on because I think that that's what we're doing. We seem to be tiring, or I mean, if we just look at the Wolves game. We 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 tired we tired Wolves out in the first half. Um, what Jack said, it was a stalemate. But I watched the Wolves against Everton game, and I was really impressed with Wolves in the first half. I think Everton slightly got their tactics wrong and changed it a bit, and I really thought that this was going to be a hard game. In the first half, I was glad that Zaha was playing on Wardy's side because I saw the danger in in the Everton game or, or with, with the wing-back Ryan, I think it's Etty Nuri, um, and he seemed to be stifled. He didn't have much of the ball, uh, which was really great. And then I, I kind of noticed Jimenez. He was running in between Anderson and Ga- Gahey, try, you know, trying to close down, and eventually I just saw him puff his cheeks out in the first half and kind of <laughs> partly tired, but also partly, I can't keep on doing this. <laughs> and it, there was this kind of feeling that actually, we are we're, we're beginning to wear them down, and it. I don't know. In the first half, I thought you know Wolves showed. I thought a bit of composure. I kind of had this scary feeling they were going to they were going to be the ones that were going to up it in the second half. I actually thought MacArthur didn't have his best performance in the first half, and then he just found another two three gears in the second half. Gallagher came much more into the game in the second half, as though it was orders. The orders from the coaches. That's what you're going to do now. Now step it up and take them out. So yeah, it was it, it was brilliant, and it's not surprising we are maybe not scoring as many goals in the first half because it's almost we're jabbing, in a, yeah. using a boxer's yeah. term, we're just jabbing the, the teams, yeah. and then the second half we go for it. 
Um, Dom, later on in the pod, we do have an article uh, from The Athletic that uh, it's from a few weeks ago, but it talks about sort of what Vieira has done since coming in to sort of change the the view at Palace so far. But it is becoming a bit of a hallmark, isn't it, of this Vieira Palace team that we do seem to, as, as, as John says, jab in the first half and then sort of go for the blow in the second half. Do we think that is a tactical approach from the manager or, or maybe more um, a nod towards the fact that at halftime or during the game, he is able to somehow find this extra... 5, 10, 15% from his players? Um, I suspect it's more down to, uh, as, as JC says, uh, retaining possession for long periods of time and and and, and wearing teams down, um, eroding their sort of resistance over, over time. I think, look, Vieira's game plan worked perfectly. We'd score early, there'd be desperation within the opposition and we'd we'd exploit the space that, that that provides. I mean, that that's, that's what ultimately he wants us to do. Um, and it's not something that we've done very often to date, but in time that, you know, when we become a bit more ruthless in front of goal, maybe we will take some of those first, ch- first half chances and games will open up and that will work in our favor. Um, I think it's, it, you can't really generalize on it. I mean, for example, Arsenal, when we played over there, um, we grew into that game. We were we were almost blown away in the opening ten minutes when where Arsenal were all over us. But but we we sort of showed a bit of resilience, a bit of a bit of nous, and then and then gradually got a foothold in the game, and then and then took over for a period of time. Okay, they rallied late on and got and the last 10, 15 minutes we've spoken about before and how how things changed again then. But but you can't really. I don't think you can generalise and say this is what's happening in every match. Each each game has its own particular incidents and and the momentum switches between between the teams but but ultimately Vieira would want his team to start brightly I would have thought and and open up the space with an early lead and and exploit that over the over the course of the game because if they do that and they maintain this sort of attacking verve that they've shown throughout the season then we'll we'll run up cricket scores against some opponents um hopefully so that would be lovely um let's move on to some of the decisions in the game so I've had a question here from Evan who simply says did VAR just work question mark question mark question mark Uh, Jack there were two big decisions the Wilf goal which was initially given as offside and then the Wolves penalty which was overturned uh, as it was outside of the box how do you see those two decisions and I mean are you now a fan of VAR (laughs) how could you not be after that but uh, yeah uh, it did work in answer to Evan's question and it's exactly how it should work um, in that VAR corrected factually incorrect decisions in that Wilf was onside and that Ward's tackle, albeit a soft foul, was a foul, but it was outside the box. So, um, you know, it, it was perhaps wasn't as controversial as the discussions that we had the week before about, you know, um, being the last man and denying a clear goal-scoring opportunity, that type of thing. Um, so it worked absolutely perfectly. And I'm, I'm sure Mike Riley's probably quite happy in, in terms of using that fixture on Saturday as an example of how VAR should work. But I, I was I thought Wilf was onside when it when it happened. I sit in the in the lower homestead, but Wolves were so slow getting out after that weird kind of keeper coming out and and clearing it. And then the time that Maka had the ball to kind of you know assess what was happening and play the pass, I, I thought Wolves were really slow at getting out. So I wasn't surprised when it was overturned. Um, I thought Will's finish was was brilliant. Um, you know, really used the keeper as the the guide really, and that's exactly what you need to do in that situation. And then yeah, the the, the foul. I I thought the decision about VAR. Uh, or sorry, the decision that VAR was having a look at was whether it was actually a foul or not, um, rather than where it was. But it, it was a bit clumsy by uh, by Wardy, um, and we, you know, it, it's just fortunate that we uh, 
you know, fell on the right side of that decision and then it was outside the box. But pre-bar, um, you know, we're, we're going to the last 15 minutes, one nil down possibly rather than being one up. Um, so yeah, I think we can certainly say that we're kind of riding the wave of the, of the benefits of VAR at the moment after the last two weeks. Um, I felt Laporte was rightly sent off against us, but in comparison to the other decisions that weekend um, in, in similar circumstances, you know, we, we, we were helped by that. Um, and then obviously, yeah, Saturday, VAR works as it should do. And thankfully we're on the right side of it. It is. I, it, I know like people are prone and against VAR, but like that moment where it's going VAR check and there's that weird little jingle they play and you're away. It is quite exciting, especially when, I, I thought both were going to go away. I thought Wilf was on side. And I did think, to be honest, JC, where I sit, I could see the Wardy foul. I thought it was a foul. And me and my dad both sort of winced our faces a bit because you could see it was close. But I did think initially it was outside as well. So I was fairly confident that would go away as well. But uh, what was your view on the uh, on the Wardy foul? Because in the Discord club at the moment with our patrons, there's some back and forth. Between some people think it was a foul and some think, no, some think it was in and some think it was out. No, it, it wasn't in. I mean, I, I sit by the players' tunnel. So... I was kind of looking at the other side, but down the line. And even there, I could I sensed it was just outside the area, although I was 100 metres away. Um, I think the, the the two VAR decisions, they're, they're two types of VARs, right? There's, was he offside or was it outside the, the box? That That's just factual. You know, they've got the techno. Where I think VAR becomes interesting is where then there's still a human decision that needs to be made. So, you know, Man City going down to 10 players, that was a sending off, but in the same on the same day, almost at the same time, I think it was Evans for Leicester wasn't sent off, right? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, identical. So there's still there's still going to be that space for human judgment, which is then the kind of irrationality of football and football culture will still be present within VAR. But I don't think it's really a discussion. I mean, it wasn't offside. It was outside the box. It's not a discussion. I am still going to continue the discussion by asking Tom. Do you think? Do you think Zaha was on? The problem is, JC, we're playing so well at the moment. There's there's not much to talk about. We have to bury down into these into these (laughs) the tiny details. Um, Dom, the only reason I say that is I think some people there is a rule, isn't there, that if a foul continues across the line into the box, it can be given as a penalty. This one was quite close in that, wasn't it? Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. Yeah, I mean. I, I think again that will come down to human interpretation. Did did um, the, the referee did go over? Did he to to, to look at the, the the monitor for the for the ward incident? Did he or, or did he? No, not? no, he sure was just corrected okay. by the VAR. That was just so corrected the VAR by the VAR. Just mm. told him that it's outside. Okay, mm. well, yeah. Then you have to go with with an official making that decision um, if he's got all the replays from which to do it. I'll tell you what that you you talk about the the sort of graphic that comes on the big screen and the little jingle. Um, try watching one of them on TweetDeck when you're at Stamford Bridge and everybody's going, oh, we'll scored. Oh, no, it's been ruled out by VAR. Hold on. No, sorry, it's been ruled out by the lines, but there's a VAR check in progress. And you just sit there and you ignore what's going on on the pitch in front of you and the match you're meant to be covering. And you just sit there waiting for the inevitable to come through. And on both occasions on that, on both occasions, weirdly, and, I, and it probably reflects on the type of people I follow on Twitter, I was convinced that both those decisions were going to go Palace's way, having not actually seen them at all in the flesh, but purely from people's tweets. It just seemed as if there's an inevitability about it when I was over the moon that that, that did indeed go that way. (laughs) 
It's nearly Christmas and that always brings the busy festive football period. So what better way to unwind than with a free case of craft beer from Beer 52? And much like Palace offering up the goods this season, so are Beer 52. They are offering FYP listeners two extra free beers on top of the usual eight. So that's 10 free beers in total. Just go to beer52.com forward slash FYP. That's the word beer and the numbers 52.com slash FYP. And all you have to do is cover the postage costs of $5.95. Uh, JC, I believe you've been sent some Beer 52 beers and uh, you're a fan. I am a fan. Um, and, and thank you for the beers. I, I hid them in one of our fridges. So my eldest son, Dexter, who's just started university, couldn't find them. And they actually do a can of beer called Dexter, um, which I thought I'd buy for him. But then I thought, no, he can effing get his own beers um i was what, what i was going to do uh, i had the beers and i thought well i'm going to s- have my normal beers but selectively allow myself to have a treat because they were very very good but i think it, they lasted for probably between two or three hours <laughs> well, um, go. so well well i would recommend i'd recommend their selection Fantastic. Now, each month, Beer 52 members are sent a case with a different theme, usually from a different part of the world. And you can choose your plan. If you don't like the dark beer, you can choose the light option. Plus, the beers come with a beer magazine and snacks. And like Dave Bassett, when he joined Palace in 1982, you can cancel or pause or change your mind at any time. Go to beer52.com forward slash FYP and pay $5.95 postage to get all this now. And remember, this month, you can get those two extra free beers. Well, there's definitely an air of sort of, of enjoyment at Palace at the moment, and I guess confidence as well. And I guess that maybe seeps into people's tweets when they are doing that. Um, Jack, I want to highlight one player. I mean, everyone was brilliant at the weekend. Very, very difficult to pick sort of a best player. We've had a question about one player in particular who doesn't necessarily get a lot of coverage on this pod or anywhere, really. Uh, and that's Czech Kiate. So it's Toby again, Toby Kinder, two in one part. I mean, he's having a two in one part. Toby again. Unlike Palace, don't, ex- he's don't a great expect to shout out until. Yeah, Toby, don't expect to shout until he, after Christmas now. You've, is you've he a big sponsor? He's <laughs> not, but if you'd like to be, he knows where to get going, Toby. It's not like the Roy right here. Come on. Come <laughs> on. <laughs> we don't know how old Toby is, though. He might be, he might be very old. Um, 1962, actually. So it's in his handles. There we go. Anyway, he says, do you think Vieira sees himself from Kiate? And as a consequence, are Luca's days as a first-choice pick numbered? Jack, I'm not sure about the, the Luca thing, but Kiate, I thought, was excellent at the weekend. I think the, the whole midfield three were, and you can see that that midfield three are becoming are so important to the way Palace play in terms of their uh, dynamism and, and positional sense. But I did think Kiate in particular was excellent. And uh, yeah, I thought that was worth highlighting. Definitely. I agree. I, I felt he kind of set his tone in the first, I think, five or so minutes when he, he made a really good uh, tackle on, on the uh, on the touchline when Wolves could have got away. And just his reading of the game meant that he was doing exactly what you'd hope that kind of covering uh, midfielder, deeper line midfielder, we would do. I thought he was really good. So I, I, I presume the decision to play the three of them again after winning at City was a, a fairly no-brainer. It would have been tough to have um, to, to have dropped any of them after you know playing such a pivotal role in such a good victory. But um, yeah, I, I, I think his performance was excellent, and it would um, be a surprise if 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 Koyate doesn't um, maintain that role for the for the Burnley game, which is the first game back after the international break, and. Uh, there are limitations with Czech. I think his quality on the ball is sometimes lacking. Um, but when you've got MacArthur and Gallagher, who who are happy to come and get the ball from him and um, and, and and do that side of, of the midfield work for that, then yeah, I think uh, I, I think it's all good. And Czech brings his own qualities. Yeah. 
it will be interesting to see what he does against Burnley, not least because Czech's been called up by Senegal and goes off to a couple of qualifying games I think they've got. Um, whereas Luca isn't involved with Serbia, I don't think, and will stay around Beckenham for that second week. Uh, I, I was surprised that they hadn't made the change in many ways because I, I, I thought we might need a bit more guile to break down Wolves. Um, and Luca, although he's not necessarily the, the subtlest of passers, he does tend to pass forwards, whereas Czech is very much the sort of archetypal destroyer in, in midfield. Um, but I think, that if anything, the, the fact that, that Vieira was willing to change a winning team um, to go into that Wolves game, you know, and dropping Jordan for Christian Benteke d- does demonstrate now that we are. Uh, I was just before with the with the questioner, but the, the reality is we are now playing a squad game. We, we have got options. Yeah. We've got so many different types of players that we can use on for particular match specific occasions. Uh, and uh, you know, to say that someone's days are numbered because they haven't played in two games in a row mm. isn't really the case anymore. Because it may well be at Burnley that we need someone slightly more progressive in midfield. Definitely considering what I witnessed um, with Burnley at the weekend. I mean, Burnley, Burnley are still Burnley, even with Corne in their team. They are still Burnley, yeah. um, and will their, their first objective isn't to concede. I mean, that they 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 want to be stubborn and, and obdurate and. You know, having someone who who can pass the ball forwards and through the lines against them will be, arguably could be very useful. You, you may counter that by saying Czechiarte's aerial ability and strength might be a, a good counterfoil against a uh, Chris Wood or, or uh, Ashley Westwood even in midfield. But we've got options now. While while everybody is fit, we have options, and uh, I think we have to start thinking more in terms of squad games and and not jumping to conclusions if a player is left out anymore. Because the reality is, we can pick and choose. Yeah, JC, that was going to be my point as well with, with the Luca thing. That obviously we do have more options now. We see it on the bench with Elise and Shuppy, and we know Eze is coming back soon. So as Dom says, we are playing a squad game. Uh, that comparison between Kiarte and Vieira is interesting. I, I, I don't, I don't think it's fair to compare Kiarte with a lot of his abilities to Vieira, you know, one of the best ever Premier League midfielders. But he's tall, he's leggy. You can maybe see why Toby has done that comparison. And it must be a huge boost for someone like Kiarte, who obviously, like a lot of our squad, would have grown up watching Vieira. You know, to be to be coached by this guy and to be given the confidence boost of of playing in the Palace team. It, I, th- I think he he mentioned actually the first training session. All of a sudden, his hero walked in, and he realised he was in the same dressing room as this hero and didn't quite know what to do. And this is, you know, Kiate's thirty one, you know, and he's talking like this about his hero, and that means that a thirty one year old is going to be someone who's going to be learning even more, and that's that's incredible. And if if someone like Vieira can do that to a Jimmy, a, a MacArthur. Or, 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 you know, it shows the ability of what he can grow into as a coach. And people like, you know, Pep Guardiola is is, is lauded for the fact that he can take on a, a senior player who's learned all their stuff, but actually make them a better player. And I'm just, you know, wondering, I'm not making this comparison, Pep, although there is the Man City connection. But, you know, we're seeing these players that shouldn't be getting better, right? At, at they, they, they've passed their prime they're playing the best football they've ever played for Palace. I mean, I, I, you know, I mean, I'm slightly going off, but James MacArthur, last time I saw him play was really well, was really well, was with Ledley and Punchin in the middle, you know, and I'm seeing him play now and I don't think I've seen him play this well before. 
Um, so it, it, it's brilliant. I mean, the big question with Czech will be that he's out of contract in the summer and he'll be 32. If I'm right, I think that there's seven senior players out of contract. So it's gone down by 50% nearly, but um, <laughs> you know, there's, still, there's still issues there. Uh, I do have a question, actually, later on about who's the most improved player under Vieira. I'm going to save it for questions in part four, but have a think about that, guys, because I think there probably is quite a few candidates uh, for that one. We'll round off part one with a couple of questions about Wolves, actually. So this, this question made me laugh uh, from Anda. Hello, Anda. Hi, Anda. Any chance you can pull up the heat map of the Wolves physio? Surely man of the match performances work great at the critical interventions he made. <laughs> Thank you, Ander. I'll add another question onto that, that that's uh, slightly more serious. Uh, from Russell Levy, uh, hi, Russell, who says, uh, now that we're one of the best teams in the world, not getting carried away, um, are we going to have to get used to teams coming to Selhurst and wasting time rather than engaging in a game of football? It seems ironic that Wolves kick crying wolf at every possible opportunity. Uh, Jack, was that something you noticed from the Wolves player at the week, players at the weekend? I, I was really surprised at just how often it happened during the game. I, I just, I think maybe four or five players, uh, including Connor Cody, um, who, who surprised me. But I think Eight Nori, Neves, Moutinho and Cody, and maybe one more, maybe one of their front three, all went down um, with not much contact, it, it looked like. And and none of them really required any degree of medical treatment once the physio came on. So, yeah, I hope the physio was looked after. I hope they bought the beers for the coach home for him because that was uh, that was a lot of work for, for not much reward for him. Um, eight, the one that really stuck, and I I, I think uh, JC might recall this as well from the first half, when eight Nori, I think, dived to try and win a penalty. And, and Wardley clearly took the ball. And if eight Nori's ankle did get stuck there, then that, that's a sore one. But he was down for a long, long time. And... And then Graham Scott made a very clear decision. And he really, he, uh, at that point, Graham Scott didn't actually call the, the physio on. I think Graham Scott called it for what it was, which was a bit of, bit of gamesmanship. But yeah, in, in terms of Russell's question, I think it is possible that, you know, any team that plays um, the type of football that we have possession-based, the opposition will try and disrupt that flow by right. any means they can. And if that's uh, longer throw-ins or longer goal kicks and, or, or uh, injuries, we, we might see a bit more of that still has this season. I, I mean, I, think it's probably something away teams do. I mean, I think we've got one of the, not rolling around like he's died, but, you know, I was brilliant, I think, when we play away at kind of, yeah. you know, to, to taking the fall. And But I I, I enjoy it. I, I think it creates theatre. I think it creates uh, a spice. And actually, it, it, it's a good example was um, Arsenal versus Watford when Watford kicked the ball out and Arsenal threw the ball in and it kind of led up to a goal. I hope we see more of that. <laughs> I, I, you know, I mean, we, 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 you could argue that the Premiership is such a sterile cultural cesspool of. So we we need we need to kind of take it back and actually have that theatrical element. You know, VAR's taken some of it away and created new types of theatre, but this type of edginess is is it, it creates an anger, gets the crowd going. It's injustice. It, it's kind of it's Shakespeare. Well, I'm, I'm up for Watford conceding a goal any any means because uh, I don't really like Watford. So anyway, that they can see the goals, yeah. all good by me. I just have a question on that point, actually, JC, and I don't know if, if the rest of you can answer this. Was that the first time we've had a goal disallowed but then re-allowed, as it were, at home? I remember the RU won at Olympic Stadium a couple of years ago, but I couldn't remember one, particularly with fans, at Selhurst. So I think that's the first time we've had that weird experience of 
jubilation to deflation back to jubilation. Um, Maybe. But happy to be corrected. And, and listener, if you're listening, singular, you know, JD, uh, if you're listening, do, <laughs> Toby, do let us Toby, know. if you're listening. Toby, come in for your hat trick, Toby. <laughs> I, I did have a very weird experience, though, when um, Gallagher scored, because I thought I saw the referee going to his arm. Oh, and yeah. thinking he was showing the Wolves players that, yeah, we're going to check its handball. So everyone stood yeah. up and I just sat down and go, I'm not even going to bother. <laughs> and then eventually I, I stood up and Gallagher was still celebrating in front of me. And I'm going, oh, he's such a, mm. you know, it's kind of, <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't realise, you know. But um, so that was the first ever time I didn't celebrate a Palace goal. Oh, wow. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Do, you to, do you want to do it now? Do you want to do it now? Wanna... <laughs> Yay. Yay. <laughs> 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 can I can I can I make a really sweeping um and probably daft observation? Yes. We love that um, on this podcast. <laughs> I think that that win over Wolves was more impressive than the win at Manchester City the previous week. I agree. I actually agree with that, but I'd be scared oh, to say it. Not that not that daft. Might be, is it? No. Maybe we're all daft. I agree. I, I, we we've we've ground out wins where we've had less of the ball and being defensively resilient and hit teams on the counter-attack on numerous occasions at big clubs as well over the last few, over, over this stint in the, in the, in the Premier League. But Wolves were, Wolves came to Sellers Park, A, as Jim says, the team in form in the division, but also they're a, they're a sort of version of us, maybe with a, with a dose of cynicism thrown in, slightly more cynicism thrown in, but they, they they want to play the type of football that Palace are playing. They, they they want to move the ball quickly. They want to build up from the back. Um, they sort of play the same formation. They've got three at the back. Um, usually they've got quick wing backs, um, and they've got a a big striker up top who's very very good, albeit one that that may be suffering still slightly from from what happened to him last season with the head injury. But that was a proper test for Palace, and yet they they came out. Feeling utterly dominant, they they dominated the ball. I think it was sixty percent at the weekend, which is again outstanding, and it would have been unheard of in previous seasons, um, um, regardless of the manager. Incidentally, I'm not just talking about Roy, but previous managers as well. Um, and he, he sort of came away from that that game, and a bit I only saw the highlights of it. He just thought, well, Palace were the better team, and and you know when when Bruno Largs comes out afterwards and says, oh, I don't think Palace were better. That's just called to provoke general oh, outrage because yeah. <laughs> it's nonsense. Everybody can see that it's nonsense. Palace yeah. were the better team by a long way. And considering that opposition and considering the, the club's development and where we're going and and the way we both want to play, I thought that was a real statement victory and in a game that I thought was potentially going to be really, really difficult for, for Palace. Yeah. I, 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 yeah, I, I agree. I, I sit I sit with a guy called Grant Orchard, who's actually the creator of Hey Doogie, not Hey Dougie Freeman, but Hey Doogie. And um <laughs> and he said um after the game that we act for the first time we looked more dangerous in the game once we went one 0 up. Yeah, and I just thought that that really summed up the game. Yeah, but what we, we also, became more dangerous. But also it was first win against a team. To, in and around us, team we should be, et cetera, et cetera, that wasn't, you know, a top six team who were only won or lost to this season. So I think that's another important tick. Well, they were seventh. So it's... Although, were they yeah. as high as seventh? I think seventh, yeah. yeah. Also, Hey, hey Dougie is... I know that Grant created Hey Dougie. It, the Dougie in Hey Dougie is definitely inspired by Dougie Friedman, surely. I'm I'm kind of his match day agent, so I don't go into any discussion <laughs> uh, about that. 
All right, we'll talk off air about that. We'll, uh, we'll talk JD, can I, can I do one shout out um, as we round up um, part part one? Uh, Jordan, the aforementioned Jordan, friend of Ender's yes. of St. Leonard's. Yeah. Um, that was, I think, Jordan's 20th or 21st Premier League match since we came up in 2013. That's the first time he's seen us win in the Premier Ooh, League. So, wow. big day for Jordan. And I think I'm safe in saying that the Go House on Norwood High Street reap the rewards of his satisfaction. So, oh, uh, yeah, that's his first Palace Premier League win. Um, so, a, a big day for him. So, hopefully, him and Enders have been able to celebrate since Jordan returns to St. Leonard's. Jordan, you can come back. You can come back to Palace. Yeah. All is forgiven. <laughs> Um, brilliant okay uh, let's wrap up part one there uh, in part two we're going to do our winners and losers we all take on different roles every day one minute you're a parent the next a chef or a driver that's why the Volvo XC40 Recharge is designed to be as versatile as you are. It's fully electric and includes a 360-degree camera, Google built-in, and more. Contact your local retailer to learn more or visit volvocars.com US. The Volvo XC40 Recharge. For every you. Some equipment optional. Google is a trademark of Google LLC. It's time to get your checking account to zero with free checking from PenFed. That's zero ATM fees, zero balance requirements, and zero time spent waiting for your paycheck to direct deposit because you can receive it up to two days early. Open your account with just $25 and see how big zero can be. Apply online today at PenFed.org slash free checking. Early direct deposit eligibility may vary between pay periods and timing of payers' funding. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. Welcome back to the Five Year Plan Podcast. Yay! Yay. Part two, where we're going to do winners and losers. This is, of course, a patron-only feature. So if you want to hear this, go to our patron at patron.com forward slash FYP podcast. If you're not on the patron, listening on the public feed, you'll now get a clip from this weekend's Pod Extra after that game at Selhurst with Rob and Selzy and special guest Jim Cannon as well. So if you want to hear that full episode and our winners and losers, go to patreon.com forward slash FYP podcast. But let's make the split now. Have you seen a Palace side as kind of confident and as dominant in the top flight as this one? Uh, to me, it seems, it feels like something very unusual. I saw one in the 1980s. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 fair point, yeah. I would say the team in the 80s were, were a good team, but it, certainly I've not seen a team at Palace over the last 20 years that I've played like this mob. Yeah. Uh, they, they, look, they look really good. Uh, they seem to have a... Uh, and I'm really surprised the understanding that they've all got. Bear in mind, there's quite a lot of new. I mean, don't forget, start of the season, we're all looking at one another, thinking, well, who are we going to get? We've got no players. There's 10 players going. And, and suddenly you think, hang on a minute, these players that have come in are, are fabulous. So, yeah, no, we, we, we look, we're looking a good side. Probably the best side I've seen here, certainly, last 20 years, without a doubt. And playing 
how I would like, and I think how a lot of fans would like to see us play. But with a controlled manner, not, you know, we're not going silly, you know. Some teams have scored three or four goals and let four or five in, but we, we seem to be like composed and compact from the back to the front. And uh, yeah, it's, and you mentioned Wilf there. I mean, I, I thought Wilf had a bit of a slow start. He was the only player in the first half. It didn't. But I think the, the great thing about Wilf now is that he doesn't spend 60% of his time defending. Mm. He spends 60% of his time attacking, yeah. which has got to be great for Palace, great for the team, and, and good for him. And uh, and I think he's obviously enjoying playing with Edward. I mean, and obviously Gallagher and MacArthur. But yeah, no, the whole thing's looking good. And they're, they're certainly the best team that we've had for a long time. But on, on the topic of VAR, those decisions, it just goes to show how quickly a game could have turned pre pre-VAR yeah. because we we ended up we would have felt really aggrieved at that goal having watched it back again you know you go home watch match of the day there it is on television Wilfred Zaha is actually on side the, the referee didn't give it we'd be furious and then the penalty decision again it's difficult because you're, you're talking about referees having to judge very quickly moments that they've seen once and VAR is essentially an opportunity to review a decision multiple times or review an incident multiple times but as you say, the importance is that it came to the right conclusion. Yeah. I mean, as you said, I'd, if our goal had been ruled out and they got a penalty and scored, you know, I know fans go, oh, it takes the spontaneity out of the game and all that sort of yeah. stuff. I don't really care, I have to say. I'm pretty unemotional anyway as a fan, as you know, so it's probably not my thing. But I, what I would say to you is I'd rather have the emotion out of the game and have the right outcome than lose the game today because we couldn't celebrate or whatever it was, you know. It's also a bit of a false argument because because ultimately the, the, the goals that you score and that are legitimate, you get to celebrate. And, and in this case, today, we ended up celebrating twice. We celebrated <laughs> when he scored, yeah. felt a little bit of disappointment, and then celebrated again when it actually ended up being given. So, And, and we've had some really great VAR goal moments, like the one at West Ham a few yeah, years ago. That was, that was a brilliant moment. moment. Yeah. You know, that, ter- that was a fantastic memory of VAR working in our favour. So I, I don't know. I, th- I think it's, it's, a, it's one of those things that really, it's not, not worth getting too fussed about um in terms of the that we, we talked about James MacArthur in the first half he was great again today against a very very good uh, Portuguese midfield duo in uh in Ruben Neves and uh and Jean Moutinho wasn't he? he was he just just he's just great isn't he just evergreen isn't he really you know he he sounds... I mean, I don't know James MacArthur personally, um, but everybody that I do who, who talks about him just tells me he is the the perfect professional footballer in every sense. You know, the, the leadership, the way he conducts his business, the way he goes about his work, and he still looks incredible to me. There's no sort of sign of decline in, in him at all. And, you know, that midfield today... You know, Czech made some very good interceptions and those long legs of his, he's like sort of Inspector Gadget at times, the way he sort of can extend his leg into a tackle and so on. As you said, Conor Gallagher full of energy and drive for us and, you know, one of those days today also where his his good stuff uh, on the end of it came his way. You know, we've had a couple of games where, 
you know, some of his finishing have been a bit wayward and stuff like that, as we talked about last week. But he scored at City, you know, he he scored again today. You know, it's a good run for him again. So nice to go into a two-week break now off the back of a win and, you know, a really good run. Uh, the last time we beat him was Liverpool, which I think was, when was that? That was about six weeks ago, was it? Middle of September, wasn't it? Liverpool away. Um so, six, seven, eight weeks ago, maybe nearly now. So, I think, you know, we can be... And that day, as we talked about before, I thought we were really unfortunate. You know, again, if the cars had fallen, a bit of luck. Cause, yeah. and, and I know we talk about this and, you know, I know I rain on people's parade or whatever <laughs> it is. But, again, you see today the importance of the decisions and all that sort of stuff. These are such fine margins at this level. Everybody's a very good player. And they're all very good teams. And it, you know, it doesn't matter if you're Crystal Palace here. If you have a bad day against bottom of the table, Norwich, and have a player sent off and a few things go against you, you can easily be well beaten. You know, there's no no gimmies or you've got no divine right to do any of this stuff. But as I talked about previously in the in the podcasts throughout the season, throughout the season so far, there is a level of consistency about Palace and I can honestly say you know we've been so good at restricting the opportunities for the other teams in the games that we've played particularly in open play and when we've gaffed a few times in the in the sort of um, set play situation and second phase stuff as we talked previously as well but I thought again today we've not given up very much and I can honestly say I feel really relaxed while watching the game, which is, <laughs> yeah. which is, you know, for those of us of a certain age that have watched Crystal Palace in the top flight, we've not often been used to playing on the front foot very often, and our resources have often, you know, dictated that, as we've talked about before. You know, Roy didn't have a good hand to work with for four years. Ian Dowie had a very weak hand when he was managers in the in the Premier League previously and so on, you know. There are, you know, Tony Pulis, when we first came up, you know, we were really a bit ragtag, you know, and we sort of scrapped out points in a way, but not by taking the opposition apart with free-flowing football and, and a huge amount of confidence in possession and stuff like that, which is now, you know, we're, we're, we've gone up a level and we actually look, we actually look at the moment, to me, like a proper Premier League team that's been in the Premier League for nine seasons. And that's because, you know, we've invested very well. And, you know, we've, we've a playing style that's, that's really enjoyable to watch. But we've also, you know, it's, it's actually worked out much quicker and better than I feared. You know, I thought it was all very high risk. And I think it was. But... You have to credit all the people involved, Steve, Dougie, and so on, and say, yes, they've they've um, they've done this very very well. And I, as we talked about before, again, I I still thought we might be a little bit light in the forward area, but Edward has come in and done very well. Where I think, you know, it'd be fair to say he was a risky signing, in the sense that there was no question in his talent. But he'd gone off the boil a bit in Scotland compared to his previous seasons. And then you start to worry that perhaps he doesn't have the appetite or whatever. But he's really been an excellent 
addition for the money. You know, he's clever, he's got a touch, he can finish, he's got lots of good things going for him. I didn't expect to see this Benteke Edward situation, and I'm still not sure I entirely love it, but you can't argue when the results are coming our way, can you? Guys, fantastic winners and losers. Thank you very much um, for that. If you uh, have just listened on the main public feed, you've missed our winners and losers, but you can hear them and the full post-match podcast at patreon.com forward slash FYP podcast. After the break, an article from The Athletic. My brother-in-law died suddenly, and now my sister and her kids have to sell their home. That's why I told my husband we could not put off getting life insurance any longer. An agent offered us a 10-year, $500,000 policy for nearly $50 a month. Then we called SelectQuote. SelectQuote found us identical coverage for only $19 a month, a savings of $369 a year. Whether you need a $500,000 policy or a $5 million policy, Select Quote could save you more than 50% on term life insurance. For your free quote, go to SelectQuote.com. SelectQuote.com. That's SelectQuote.com. Select Quote. We shop, you save. Full details on example policies at SelectQuote.com slash commercials. My brother-in-law died suddenly, and now my sister and her kids have to sell their home. That's why I told my husband we could not put off getting life insurance any longer. An agent offered us a 10-year, $500,000 policy for nearly $50 a month. Then we called SelectQuote. SelectQuote found us identical coverage for only $19 a month, a savings of $369 a year. Whether you need a $500,000 policy or a $5 million policy, Select Quote could save you more than 50% on term life insurance. For your free quote, go to SelectQuote.com. SelectQuote.com. That's SelectQuote.com. Select Quote. We shop, you save. Full details on example policies at SelectQuote.com slash commercials. Welcome back to the Five Year Plan Podcast. Hey! Get on with it, Jim, for God's sake. <laughs> <laughs> right, it's part three, and uh, it's time for an article from The Athletic, uh, bringing you every football story that matters. The Athletic is home to the best collection of football reporters, storytellers, and analysis in the world. From breaking club news and exclusive interviews to brilliant features and tactical analysis, The Athletic is football news you can trust, and football writing you can feel. Get all access to exclusive stories as free. And if you go to theathletic.com slash FYP, uh, that's theathletic.com slash FYP, you can get 50% off your annual subscription to The Athletic. So that is £30 a year for sports journalism that brings you closer to the action. Loving all the new taglines this year. Um, this week's article, we've gone back a bit, Dom. We've gone back a few weeks. We picked an article uh, that you and Matt worked on called How Patrick Vieira Helped Crystal Palace believe again uh, it's from just before the arsenal game but a lot of it still rings true and is very relevant and um i think i believe it's what the kids call a long read um but there's so many interesting bits in it i'm going to pull out this bit actually uh with a quote from eze and I'll, I'll, I'll come to you dom for this bit um so here we go the article says uh one of hodgson's many skills was an ability to communicate with younger generations but the youthful palace crop will remember Vieira stamping his authority over all comers in that dominant Arsenal midfield. He carries an aura still, a legacy from his playing days, 
Chick Yorto went on record this week saying he idolized Vieira in his youth, as we said earlier in the pod. Here's a quote from Eze. The first time he walked in, I saw him. I felt something inside me. Like it made me sit up, said Eze. One of a few in the squad who were Arsenal supporters in their youth and recalled Vieira as an invincible. I was thinking, this isn't supposed to happen. He's just a human being. I shouldn't be doing this. But there's just a presence about him. I don't think I've had that speaking to anybody. He's actually such a down-to-earth guy. He meets you on your level. It's an honest conversation. Dom, is it fair to say that we've we've all maybe sort of been a bit bowled over by not just how successful Vieira's been on the pitch, but the man as well? And that comes up a lot in this podcast. The, the man behind, you know, the tactics. Yeah, definitely. I, I think some of his punditry probably opened our eyes a bit to the to the man, um, particularly during the the summer's European Championships when he was he was put on a panel with Roy Keane, and that some of the the more uh, explosive moments of their Man United and Arsenal rivalry were revisited on screen. But but he's he's not the he's not the player that we remember. You know that that abrasive player that got sent off eight times for Arsenal over the years. He, he's very softly spoken and very very pleasant. Everybody at Palace says he's the nicest bloke you could ever ever meet. Um, and and the way he has connected with his squad and the man management skills that he's demonstrated so far are really at odds with what you hear from people talking about it at OGC Nice in, in France when when that when his stint there was was marked by much tougher and more difficult moments um where he was publicly criticizing his players and and didn't seem at ease with 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 the world maybe and let's let's hope that it's still early days when we're 11 games in but yeah. but he he looks he looks at home in these surroundings. He sort of feels comfortable. And, and, you know, we can all see the progress that's being made on the pitch, but some of the stuff that's happening off the field, I think probably goes unnoticed um, and, and should be, yeah, should be credited with that is, that is down to Vieira. He, he has assembled his coaching staff. He is the, the, the man that is setting the mood at the training ground. Um, and at the moment, everything seems to be going swimmingly on and off the pitch. JC, it's really interesting, isn't it? Because we've obviously seen many Palace, Palace managers down the years and you can often quite tell in the first early days, oh, this is going to be tricky or, you know, this guy's taken a while to settle. It's refreshing, first of all, to see a manager in, in the first few steps of his career. So we're watching this managerial career blossom in front of our eyes. But for it to be going so well, and as Dom says, you know, he's, he's this iconic player, but for him to be getting on so well with everyone, it's actually quite refreshing to to watch this unfold in front of our eyes. And in many ways, we are being taken on Vieira's journey as much as he is. Yeah, I think so. And, and I mean, following on from Dom's point about where he was with Nice, um, if, if, you know, he's he's also developed since then, you know, as a, as a coach, as a manager, as, as a person. I mean, the last time, I, I'm probably going to be shouted down, the last time I was ex- as excited oh, no. was probably when we had Ian Dowie. Oh, and we were, th- I think we were th- third from bottom or something. And then all of a sudden there was bounce back ability and there was this sense of different types of training, a harder type of training. And I'm not, I'm not making a comparison there, but this is definitely something, something very new. Um, I was thinking, I mean, I thought it was a great article and kind of got me thinking a bit about, you know, success will probably be measured by which big team he goes on to. Hmm. Yeah. Right. And I know that sounds like, oh, why are we thinking? Well, that's actually modern day football. And the test for Palace will be who are they thinking about as their next head coach? Not 
you know, who, and that the, there's the structure in place, which is emerging uh, with the recruitment, with the, with the academy, where that culture of getting the head coach in, where you can replace them and get someone else in, of a similar kind of ilk. This is what we need to be striving for. Because if if, if Patrick Vieira is successful, he won't be at Palace. I don't think for the long for the long haul. Try to spot um, on with that. Absolutely spot on. Because Palace will never be Watford, but actually, I think they actually quite admire what Watford do to a certain extent. Where the the head coach is is pretty much interchangeable, and you can go through. I mean, it would never be the fingers crossed it would never be Watford levels where you do it you know every other week but but the I think if you got to a situation where you could you you had the you know the foundations were there the squad was in place the the academy's obviously thriving and doing what it does and bringing people across the road to to the first team building then you can just as long as you're not bringing in someone who's going to radically change the style of play which they wouldn't want um then you can have that sort of if you lose a, a head coach, it's not a major problem. That, that, to be honest, is what the director of football structure of a football yeah. club is meant to be like, and yeah. what we've been striving towards for years. And, and I think we're getting there now. I really do. Yeah. And JC's absolutely right. Again, if if Palace lose Patrick Vieira to Arsenal, and which is where they would lose him too, then that would actually bode really well for what Palace would have done yeah. under Patrick Vieira. So. It's a, almost a win-win. You don't obviously you don't want to see you don't want to go through the whole Ian Wright thing again, and we lived through that. Um, JC and I did anyway. Um, but the but actually there there is a hierarchy. There is a hierarchy out there. We can aspire to to break into that. Yeah, brilliant. But we know that there's an established hierarchy. So if Palace lose a manager to them, he must have done bloody well with Palace, which is which would be perfect yeah. for all, all parties. And, and just just on that point, I mean, how long has it now we've been in the Premiership? Is it? It's the ninth year, isn't it? Nine years. I will make the claim that this is the first season we can potentially start thinking about the way a modern-day football club. And if and I kind of note it down. It is not just because of Vieira. Look at the recruitment. We we hedged our bets. We took a massive gamble letting all those players get out of contract. But it's, it seems to have worked. There's the academy that's been built that will yeah. fundamentally be Parish's legacy. Um, investment, more investment coming in with with Texler. Um, you know, there's the foundation now, and we're, we're not we're not necessarily in a process of change. It's we've, we've arrived at a destination, but you can only build the infrastructure if you're at that destination. And I think that that's, and if anything, the transition stage was probably Roy Hodgson. Roy mm-hmm. Hodgson came in a bit like Harvey Keitel in Pulp Fiction and said, what a fucking mess this is. <laughs> and I'm going to have to do with something that you've got. You're not going to give me anything else and I'll fix it for you. That's pretty much an incredible what he did. But previous to that, you had Pardew, which was, will be in the Champions League in a year. And before Pardew, the, the, the kind of four eras, before Pardew, there was this notion of, can any, does anyone fancy a game on Saturday? <laughs> Yeah. You know, I mean, that that's so we've kind of come from that beginning in the premiership all the way down to we we have now arrived at a destination and it's how we build on that in on the foundation that's going to be really critical. I'm I'm already seeing the Reservoir Hodge edit Photoshop edits, JC. Yes, I, like it. I like it. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. Reservoir I'm sure Hodge. someone out there will do oh. that. I'm sure. But that's great. Yeah. Um, yeah, JC, just I'm uh, sorry, uh, Jack, just really quickly for the end of this part. It's really interesting that actually we 
as a guy, I hadn't really appreciated it, but it is this is the first time where we have. I think Palace have always had a traditional setup, always had, you know, the manager is the manager, and that's old school. Yeah. But actually, this is the first time that it is changing. And yes, Tom says 11 games in, and the article makes that point as well, very early days. But actually, I hadn't quite appreciated this is the first time, as JC, JC says, that we are looking or turning towards a more modern approach of football. And it's, it's really exciting to watch it happen. Yeah, it's taken its time to get here, but it seems to have started well. Um, but you have to give that nod to to Roy and the job he did for the last four years, because it, I think the quote's actually mentioned in, in, in Dom and Matt's um, article. I think it's on the Hopkin Look into Coal one podcast that he did with, with Steve Parrish a couple of weeks ago. Don't compare Hodgson and Vieira. It, they're different times. They're different people. There's different methods. But they were the right methods and they were the right for the times that they, they've been used. And as JC's just touched on there, we have this academy effects because Roy was able to squeeze the transfer market to the point that he did and squeeze the squad to the point he did. It meant that we did have some rather turgid afternoons, that's for sure. But we're now seeing why that approach was taken. Um, the, the, the one comment I really have about the article, I thought the article was great. And what was really nice was to read it almost retrospectively after the last few weeks. And actually, obviously right now we're in a good moment because we've just won two on the bounce. But actually this good feeling was already there even before the Arsenal game. And there's this trust in, in Vieira and things that are going behind the scene. But I think what Vieira has, and the article sums it up really beautifully, is that, yes, Patrick Vieira has this aura. Patrick Vieira, the French international captain, the invincible captain, is him. But that combined with this wonderfully humane guy with what looked like very good soft skills in terms of his ability to manage the squad and the individuals around the, the club, I think it's, it makes for a really nice combination and does now retrospectively i know there was there were doubts um about the appointment but it now looks almost the perfect appointment yeah absolutely. can i so really i'm going to say something quite political as well but i think it needs to be said when i was part of eagle eye the fanzine um and you had the likes of john and phil and, and tony and, and laurie and they confronted ron nodes about his comments about the hardworking white players. And it was on Sky Sky TV. We were able to get that going. To see a black manager and six black players starting, you know, um, this that that's that's the South London DNA, right? That and I'm, I'm and I know I'm bringing this up, but you know, I think it's it's really really important for the culture and the history of this club that we we acknowledge that. Uh, Funny I that, um, yeah. at the at the academy launch, we 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 actually got to a huddle with with Vieira, the the, the press that were there, um, and he spoke glowingly about South London, and we were like, well, you don't really know South London, do you, Patrick? I mean, you, you're obviously a North London boy, and you, you, I think he, he's living up um, back at his old house um, up in uh, up in North London where he was living during his, his Arsenal days, or a bit. I think the house may have been rebuilt now. Um, so what does South London mean to you, Patrick? And he, he the first thing he said was diversity. That's that's exactly what it is. It's diversity. And and he's spot on. And JC's nailed it there as well. I mean, the, the, it, it just feels right that this is the way we're going. And uh, and he's 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 doing well. We, the raw numbers. I mean, maybe they'll, they'll come in. We'll come in onto that in the in the um, in the question section. But on the pitch. It's very evident that we've we've moved on with a very different style of play because we've got a squad that can do that can can do that now. We couldn't do that last year, but the evolution on and off the pitch is, I think, is going better than anyone could have envisaged. And you know, long may it continue. Mm. The South London and Proud thing, JD. Sorry, but the South London Proud thing 
um, came up. I, I did a podcast on FYP's behalf when Saturday comes, and the, the fanzine um, podcast, and they asked me about that kind of South London and proud community feel. And I think JC just nailed it in terms of if there's a, a Premier League club right now who represents everything about the local community, I think we're doing it about as best as we can right now. Completely agree. Completely agree with all of you. Um, and that's a good part, I think, to end uh, part three. So all I've got to do is remind you that if you go to theathletic.com slash FYP, you can get 50% off an annual subscription to The Athletic. You can read that article from Matt and Dom and plenty more as well. Um, after the break, questions. My brother-in-law died suddenly, and now my sister and her kids have to sell their home. That's why I told my husband we could not put off getting life insurance any longer. An agent offered us a 10-year, $500,000 policy for nearly $50 a month. Then we called SelectQuote. SelectQuote found us identical coverage for only $19 a month, a savings of $369 a year. Whether you need a $500,000 policy or a $5 million policy, Select Quote could save you more than 50% on term life insurance. For your free quote, go to SelectQuote.com. SelectQuote.com. That's SelectQuote.com. Select Quote. We shop, you save. Full details on example policies at SelectQuote.com slash commercials. Uh, welcome back to the Fabi Plan Podcast. Hey, hey. Uh, Pod four two. It's question time, and I say question uh, in the singular because we are running out of time massively. So it's literally going to be one question. Before I come on to the question, and it's one that I alluded to earlier in part one, lots of people have asked questions about Conor Gallagher and his future or potential future at Palace. We're we're going to have them every week, I'm sure. All I'll say is go back to last week's episode. Dom talked at length about the Conor Gallagher situation. I'm sure it hasn't changed in seven days. So go and listen to that, and hopefully that will fill you in a bit more on Conor Gallagher at Palace. But I'm sure we'll get more of those each week. Um, right. Here's the question from Bloke Ocean. Hi, Hello, Bloke Ocean. Bloke Ocean. Uh, simply says, uh, which player, and in brackets, S, players, uh, mul- yeah, multiple, I've uh, done that terribly, um, are most improved under Patrick Vieira and his backroom team? You've all had about 40 minutes to think about this. So I'll come, Dom's shaking his head already. So I'll, I'll go him later on. Let's go to Jack. You're smiling. You look confident. Oh, you so that, was a, that was a nervous smile, <laughs> an anxious smile. I'll, I'll go, um, I'll go Tyreek Mitchell. Um, uh, only because, uh, and I think it was touched on earlier, there may have been doubts about whether he could fulfill that kind of modern fullback. I think we'd seen enough under Roy and Ray um, defensively last season um, that he was. Premier League quality in terms of his defensive um, uh, attributes, but could he provide that that forward threat that, that a lot of Premier League fullbacks do? And the answer seems to be yes, he can. And I think a lot of that's come from the work that that Vieira and his coaching staff have done directly with him. So I think we're seeing a very very talented um, Premier League fullback develop in front of our eyes. Hopefully, it's with us. But I think he's a Premier League fullback for as long as he wants to be, to be honest. I, I think his development um, just in the, the three months since the season start is is promise enough to know that he's only going to get better. Um, and in a system and in a uh, an atmosphere which is as positive as it seems to be, um, that opportunity to develop is only going to grow. So, um, yeah, Tyreek Mitchell would be my nod for that. Do you think, Jack, that also playing alongside two younger, more dynamic, mobile, forward-thinking centre-backs probably aided that as well? 
yeah, it, it means that he can play that further 10 or 15 yards on the angle rather than perhaps playing a flatter back line. Um, and, and actually, I don't think anyone's mentioned this on this weekend's pod, just a very quick mention there about um, Joachim Anderson's passing on Saturday, which I thought was absolutely brilliant. And I think there were at least three or four um, examples of that kind of crossfield play, all to Tyreek, um, who was providing that outlet way further forward than he would have been last season. And so, yes, I think who he's playing next to, this is no critique of, of who was playing alongside last season. It's just totally different people and ages, attributes. Um, he's able to play that far uh, or that far further forwards. And um, yeah, he's looking like it's uh, it, it's it's his position really for as long as he wants it. So um, yeah, long live Tyreek. Absolutely. Uh, JC, who would you say is most improved? Waiter. Oh, oh, nice shout. There you go. I, I thought just, just, I, just to annoy Selzy, I'd sort of say it. No, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, no uh, Laurie Dahl and I usually have these very um, hard conversations on WhatsApp, um, usually at night time. Um, and um, I, I just get, I, I, I was getting a little bit peeved. His only clink in his game was his kicking. Um, and and then with the short passing between Anderson and Gehi, um, I thought he, he he wasn't as switched on as needed to be. And actually, in the last few games, he has become very very instrumental in that um, in that system of being able to play back and him him receiving the ball and laying it off. And actually, I no longer have my heart in my mouth, and maybe that was unfair. Um, and also he's, I mean, he's, he's made a couple of mistakes. His punching has been excellent this season. Um, and so I'm not saying he's the most improved. Maybe that's a bit unfair, but I think that there has also been an improvement in a very, very good goalkeeper that we have, which is also another compliment to this new system we're playing and, and, and Vieira and Dean Kiley. There we go. Good shout. And I think that's that's the last outfield player we've mentioned, I think, we haven't mentioned Ed- Edward, actually, I don't think. Have we, I but, don't um... think we've had a mention of either Edward or I was just thinking who we haven't touched on. I think it's Edward and uh, Ben Teke, who I thought had a very good game again on Saturday. Yeah, I completely agree. And now House. 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 <laughs> uh, all right, Dom, <laughs> let's come to you then for who do you think is, is, is most improved so far under Vieira and his team? Well, in the, in the most contrived way possible, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about the... I think anybody in that team with an attacking bone in his body, basically... Um, because as part of prep for this and largely teed up by you, JD, um, I, I braved the Opta <laughs> tool and uh, tried to get some comparison stats between last season and this. Um, Andy Street will be quietly uh, content. There's a lot of XG in what I'm about to say. Um, <laughs> but I've had, I've had a weird few weeks, you know. They've made me do all this stuff, which I've never done before. I've always been a bit old school with how I've looked at football, but the last few weeks I've, I've plucked my Y-Scout cherry, so to speak, and, and ventured in on all these programmes and have been monitoring games and scrutinising performances and drawing up tables of data. And it's it does open your eyes to things um, quite a lot. So here we go. Expected goals. Last season... Over 11 games was 9.98 for Palace. This season it's 13.9, which is a, you know, at this stage of the season, I think we've actually, we've overachieved on that. We scored 15. So we're actually exceeding our XG at the moment. Expected assists per game, um, six, sorry, expected assists, 6.77 over 11 games. It was, it's 8.74 this year. 
Shots after 11 games last season, 101. We've had 122 this year. These are all up. They're all up. Chances created, including assists, would have been 77 after 11 games last year. It's 91 this. Uh, Even passes into the the final third. Um, On average, um, so so last season we had 65.02. This season we were on course for 68.91 or something daft like that, which is, again, just... Just everything is everything is up. Passes during in in a game after eleven games last season, four thousand and seventy two, five thousand two hundred and six so far. Thousand one thousand two hundred more passes this season so far than last season. I mean, it's again it reflects a style a style of football, a different a complete change. Passes into the box at this stage last season, two hundred and thirty. Currently, two hundred and seventy-six. I mean, it's it, all of these stats are up. I mean, you chuck in expected goals against, um, which I think would it was seventeen point one nine at this stage last year. It's ten point eight. That also shows that we've wow. got a bit of defensive. That's very solid. good, isn't it? That, that's brilliant. It's, that's, it's astonishing. That's excellent. And to do that with a group of players that hadn't really played together before, um, with a coach that hadn't managed in the Premier League before, um, it, I think it's amazing. Well, that is... and, and that that also including that Chelsea game on the first of the season when it was a yeah. bit still uncooked. So you know, if if we'd had maybe everything ready that week before, um, it would be even better. But that's that. Some of those stats are insane, like yeah. comparison that that goals um, conceded one has really struck me. That that's very very impressive. Well, and also it's it's very easy for pundits and fans of the clubs to watch Palace now and be like, oh, they look better and they're playing better football. But as someone that, that, that does bury down to fantasy football quite a lot, because I've a lot of spare time in my life, um, people talk about underlying stats quite a lot of the time when picking players, and the underlying stats, as you've just shown us there, Dom, are very good, and that does paint an overall picture of a team that are progressing in every way, in every way that we have asked them to in the last four or five years since coming. Yeah, of them wrong. That, that passing accuracy was just percentage. So last year it was sixty five percent. This year it's almost sixty nine percent. And I mean, it's just everything. Everything is up. And Every, yeah. that, yeah, we played a different style. We had a, a team that sat deep last year because it had to because that's what the average age was. And the, we had a older older centre halves and a, and a just an older field about the whole thing. But but um, yeah, we're, we're progressive now, which is great to see. I think everything is up. Is a good name for this week's episode. Uh, so I'm going to make a note of that. Um, if that you is... say so, JD. <laughs> yeah. Good for you, JD. Good for oh, you, God. Come on, boys. Come on. Let's behave for once. I'm still going to use it as the name. I'm just going to hope that people don't have as pure old brains as you do. Um, obviously, normally we'd, we'd, we'd take a break and do a preview. Uh, that is the only question we're doing this week, by the way. Next week, uh, we're doing an episode. We'll do a question special. So I'll save all these questions for next week. So if you didn't get your question read out, uh, tune in next week and hopefully we will. Um, really quickly, normally we'd preview Palace are not playing. Uh, but Jack, you mentioned before the game, I think it's a good time for us to to shine a light on the Palace ladies who have got a big game coming up. Probably something we should do more on this podcast, if being totally honest, but um, they've had a really good start to the season. And uh, I think when Palace aren't playing, it's a good time to try and encourage people to, to go and watch them as well. Yeah, it's a really good weekend for the club as a whole, really. Um, the Obviously, the... The men's team on the Saturday with a fantastic win on on then on the Sunday. Um, the Palace women's team beat Durham, who are uh, were top of the championship and I think had only conceded one goal all season. Um, and Palace beat them three one. So um perhaps one of the better results that Palace women's team have had over the last few seasons. And um it just got me thinking because a lot of people have said, Oh, isn't it a shame for the international break to come and kind of break the palace flow? But for anyone that um wants to and 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 can um, Palace women's uh, team are at home to Charlton 
on uh, Sunday afternoon. Yeah, Sunday afternoon at two o'clock, I think, at Hayes. Um, and um, uh, there are cheap tickets for uh, season ticket holders and members. And I think under 16s go free. So if you need to uh, fill the Palace hole this weekend, there is an opportunity to go uh, and see a very good uh, women's team, um, hopefully, beat Charlton, which is never a bad thing either. So no, I just thought I'd mention it. And obviously, we, you know, since the um, kind of the, the new TV deal, I think there's a lot more coverage about women's football. Um, I've certainly seen more of it than I um, had done before. And there's a uh, European Championships happening next, season, next summer. So there's, you know, a lot of buzz about the women's game. And, um, you know, it's, it's nice that Palace have, have a, a flourishing women's team ourselves because not every club does. So yeah, just thought I'd, I'd give a give that team a mention because great result for the men on on Saturday, but probably equally as good a win for the women's team on Sunday. Absolutely. So if you are local to Hayes and you can get down, please do. I know that the Palace women's team do have a, a, a dedicated hardcore following with every game, but uh, if you can get down and go down and help out as well please do. And uh, we'll let you know next week how they got on as well. Hopefully they can beat Charlton. As you say, never a bad thing to beat Charlton. Um, right. Okay. That is the end of this week's episode. So uh, lads, thanks for coming on. JC, good to see you again. Thank you, JD. Thanks. Uh, uh, it's always good to have the Jays together. Uh, Dom, great to see you again, mate. Pleasure. Love to see you. Top man. And uh, another J, Jack. Uh, always good to have you on. Absolute pleasure. Thanks, JD. And thanks for our listeners. Thanks to our patrons, of course, who we love loads. Patreon.com forward slash FYP podcast if you want to get on board. Uh, thanks to all our listeners, legacy fans and more. Um, and if you're coming to the live pod on Thursday, we will see you then with our mystery palace guest. Uh, but until then, uh, enjoy the rest of your week and we'll see you again soon. Goodbye. Podcast Network.